Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Well, we're going to be talking about money, and this is one of the topics that I just don't like talking about. Uh, In fact, for the first 10 years that I was a senior pastor of the church, I didn't do a single message on it. Uh, And one of the reasons is because some ministries, that's all they talk about, you know, and they just constantly are begging for money as though God was, uh, you know, homeless, (laughs) you know, and and I just don't, I don't believe that, you know, and uh, I got to, and then the other reason was that it was difficult for me because I I wanted to have a a good solid theology, a good understanding of a biblical-based reason uh, both for money and for giving. I'm going to be talking about giving. Uh, the rest of the series is about other issues. And last year we did a whole series on, on money where we didn't talk about giving whatsoever uh, because we wanted to just talk about general principles of finance and, and, and biblical perspective of that. This year we're going to talk some about that. Jill, next week, talking about uh, our relationship with money is going to be great. Jill is uh, particularly skilled. She's got an MBA, a Master's of uh, Business Administration. She uh, uh, runs a significant portion of a multinational corporation. But she's also got a Master's in Christian Counseling. And so if anybody's qualified to talk about relationships and money, I mean, it's Jill McKay, so, so, so I think it'll be great. <clears throat> uh, but I'm going to be talking about tithing. Um, it's, uh, uh, money, you know, is not the root of all evil. A lot of people think that that's what the Bible says. The Bible actually says the love of money is the root of all evil, and that's why we've titled uh, the series The Love of Money. Money is actually a blessing. <clears throat> and uh, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about how to use the blessing of money and to thrive in our financial lives. I really believe that God wants each and every believer to be prosperous. Uh, and that's different for every person. What prosper, how you define prosperity is different. But I believe that God wants to bless his people and wants to uh, see uh, people uh, prosper in all that they do. <clears throat> and in the issue of tithing, I, I, I have, it's been three years since I've taught this topic. If you were coming on the Saturday nights before we started service, uh, Sunday services, I actually did this uh, similar message but uh, it hasn't been taught since we've been doing Sunday uh, church. And so it's just one of those things we need to review uh, because people hear the word, but they don't really know what it means, and they don't know why. The why is really more important than the what. And so that's what I wanted to do. <clears throat> and a tithe is just a, the Hebrew. He took the word out of the ancient language uh, and put it in the English language, and it just means 10%. All right, so the word tithe means 10%. What does the word tithe mean? 10%. All right, you guys are great. There will be a test at the end of the sermon. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's all throughout the Old Testament, but I just picked one verse. It says, one-tenth uh, of the produce of the land. <clears throat> they were farmers, uh, and so it was very easy. One-tenth of what they produced, one-tenth of the increase, whether grain from the field or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Wow. So even though they planted it and they watered it and they harvested it, 
and they, you know, brought it in from the fields, it belonged to the Lord. Because it was holy. There's something holy about this. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%, which is kind of interesting. It's like if it was really good fruit, you could actually exchange it for cash, but you had to add 20%. So God believes in making a profit. (laughs) Count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart uh, for the Lord is holy. So it's not only uh, 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 produce of the land, but it's also uh, uh, livestock. And it really applies to whatever uh, occupation you are, how you get your increase. And then the other verse that's uh, key to this is understanding uh, how it was used. And we learn that in Numbers uh, 18. It says, For the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will pay them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. And again, you can study the whole history of the nation of Israel, but basically every family got a a big chunk of land that was theirs perpetually that they had to farm and to to live on, and it was their possession, and they got the benefit of all of that. But the tribe of Levi, which was a family, and all the the descendants of of Levi, they were the priests and the ministers. And so they didn't get land. Uh, they had the only way that they could eat was if people tithed, all right? and it was from the tithe. So God said it was holy; it belonged to the Lord. But then the Lord said, he, "You know, God doesn't need it. God uh, gave it to the Levites because they served in the uh, uh, temples, in the, in the in the tabernacle, and then later in the temple throughout all the history of." the Old Testament. <clears throat> so the tithe was used to financially support the ministry in the Old Covenant. Now some people debate whether or not it's still applicable today uh, among Christians, and uh, it took me years to develop this. Uh, some of it's pretty simple, but number four, the fourth reason is my main reason, but I'm going to give you five reasons why I believe it's still uh, to be practiced in the New Testament as, as believers, as Christians. And if you're already, if you already believe in tithe, that's great. A lot of people that uh, are grow up in, in church um, kind of just were told, and so they do it because the Bible says so. Um, I don't think that's ever a good enough reason, just because the Bible said so. Uh, because I think you should understand why the Bible said so. All right? Uh, uh, you know, obviously doing something because the Bible said so is good, but it's much better if you understand why the Bible says so, and so uh, because then you get a, a deeper, a bit better benefit from it. And it's not just obligation, it's done out of uh, relationships, it's done out of understanding. And so five reasons why I think it's still <coughs> applicable for today. Uh, uh, four of them are pretty straightforward. Number, the fourth one is a little more in-depth. One, the New Testament does not say it's ended or it's fulfilled. So the ba- a basic rule, today's going to be more of a teaching, not a preaching. I'm kind of more of a teacher anyway. Uh, a basic rule of interpreting the Bible and the Old Testament is that everything in the Old Testament remains or still applies unless it's specifically addressed in the New Testament somewhere as being fulfilled or come to an end uh, in the in the life of Jesus Christ, all right. <clears throat> Oops, skipped, skipped. 
Go back, go back, go back, go back. Boom. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. Everybody say purpose. purpose. All right, so all of those things had a purpose. And so Jesus came to accomplish his purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And he goes on, he says, If you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I kind of like how Jesus said everything. <laughs> but I like how he said this, because, you know, there's some room here. It says, if, if you ignore one of these, it doesn't mean you're not in the kingdom, but you may be least in the kingdom. But what he's really saying is, like, all of this stuff is important, and don't minimize any of it. Don't ignore it. And if you can follow all of it, then you'll be called great. And we see in the New Testament, oh, time I could teach a whole class on this. Dale could teach it better. Oh, by the way, Dale, on Tuesdays, the history is a story. Is that where you talk about the arc of a story? Oh, that's a great teaching. You should come to this teaching on Tuesday. That was a brilliant teaching. I love it. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> In the New Testament, animal sacrifices, sin offerings, circumcision, Levitical priesthood, dietary and ceremonial laws, as well as many other things, are, are actually addressed in the New Testament. And we, we can see how their purpose has been fulfilled. So we don't sacrifice animals anymore, even though throughout all of the Old Covenant, they sacrificed animals. In fact, the New Testament say if we sacrifice animal now, we actually bring it, can bring, I don't know if it uses the word curse, but it's, it's actually saying Jesus' blood wasn't uh, enough. And so it's, it's really strictly warned against. But that isn't, tr that, there's no warning against tithing and there's nowhere where it says the practice or the purpose of tithing has been fulfilled or ended in any way, even though it does say that about a lot of other practices in the Old Testament. So that was uh, <clears throat> number one reason. It doesn't say it's ended anywhere. Number two reason, that was quick, wasn't it? Number two reason, I can't slow down, Mark, don't let me slow down. <laughs> number two reason is tithing is the only thing Jesus commended the Pharisees for doing. All right? Think about it. All right? <laughs> he was constantly, oops, he was constantly razzing uh, the, the, the Pharisees for all they, what they did wrong. But they, listen, in Matthew 23, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus says you should tithe, yes, but, you, but do not neglect the more important things. So I've actually had people that, Jesus never said we should tithe. Actually, Jesus said you should tithe. Oh, well, he was talking to Jewish people. Yeah, his whole ministry was to Jewish people. Everything Jesus said was to Jewish people. It applies to us because we have come into a relationship with Christ. If you are a Christian, we believe the teachings of Jesus, right? Do you believe the teachings of Jesus? All right. So Jesus said you should tithe. Yes, it's the only thing uh, you should tithe, but don't think that that uh, outweighs the more important things uh, uh, like mercy and justice, right, and truth and faith. 
Um, so yes, should, should, should tithe. In fact, Jesus says repeatedly that our righteousness should exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Okay, and so, and by the way, uh, tithing 10% of your uh, income is is biblically the the starting point. Uh In the Old Testament, they were actually, if you calculate all of the offerings, uh, one uh, Bible scholar I knew said it's between 23 and 25% that they were required to give. And on top of that, there were free will offerings. The next time I talk, I'm going to talk about uh, some of the other ways that uh, the Bible instructs us to give. But the tithe is the, the, like the starting point. Another thing I want to say is, if you've never tithed, and you're hearing me say 10%, you're going to go, how in the world could I possibly do that? And that's okay. Uh, I don't look at your giving statements. I can. I can pull it up on the computer, but thankfully I have other people do all of that. Um, And so I'm not measuring that. I don't judge you by that. Uh, But I believe that there's a blessing to it. And I believe that the general idea of giving proportionately of your income, and if you need to work up to 10%, then work up to 10%, but start with something that's regular, that's proportionate, because God wants to reward you exponentially. Okay? So two words, proportionate giving exponential return. Proportionate of your income giving, ex- expect exponential return. And the proportion, God says, this is, the, this is the, the, what is expected, this is what's holy, is 10%. But uh, the people that I know that give beyond that are some of the most financially blessed people. And I've seen it happen many, many times. And they don't start out financially, they start out with a commitment of giving. Uh, uh, one couple from the from the day they were married, they committed to giving a minimum of 20%, and they uh, just, like, you know, just blew me away at how God blessed them, showed them favor, and there's countless testimonies of that. <clears throat> All right, so number, th- so the second, the first reason was, what was the first reason? Jeez, I can't remember. Help me. The New Testament doesn't say it's fulfilled. Very good. What was the second reason? There you go. It was the only thing that Jesus commanded the Pharisees for doing right. You got it. Commanded, and Jesus did command it. <laughs> Third thing is the testimony of church history. And this is an important aspect. And some people, are, uh, charismatics tend to forget this. But um, uh, there's three basic ways to, 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 to know something's you know, to judge something in, in, in Orthodox Christianity, and that's the, the, you know, the written scripture. You know, that's the number one. Everything is submitted to that. But then there's also the testimony of church history. Okay, so what have the teachings of the church been for 2,000 years? We've had some brilliant leaders throughout the centuries, really good ones, some really bad ones, but mostly really good ones. So you got to look at that. And the, and the third is reason. Like, is it reasonable? Does it make sense? But throughout church history, tithing has been taught as a personal discipline that brings God's blessing. It's uh, always been the primary source of building the kingdom of God. And of course, there's been examples. There's been uh, uh, throughout history of, of sects, certain groups 
or individuals rejecting the idea, <clears throat> uh, but that could be said of any aspect of Christianity. There's uh, sects, there's uh, sections, subgroups of Christianity that uh, will reject any part of Christianity. Uh, some reject the whole Old Testament. They say it doesn't apply, so we don't even look at it. Some uh, believe that using, playing instruments in a, a church service is against the will of God because it's never mentioned in the New Testament. Seriously. <laughs> so church of Christ. You grew up in that? <laughs> I mean, they got some great a cappella singing, you know. <laughs> uh, so there's all kinds of things. But the overwhelming evidence throughout the centuries is that tithing was taught and practiced, and to reject this just really isn't uh, wise. Uh, uh, the issue is not addressed significantly in the New Testament. It's only mentioned a few times. Some people say, well, that means it's not important. But there's other significant issues that are only mentioned a few times. And I think that uh, one of the reasons it isn't addressed significantly, it isn't written in, about in a lot of the epistles, is because it was such an established cultural norm. Okay, So the, the Pharisees distinguished themselves not by tithing. Everybody in the Jewish culture, and the church started out uh, almost completely all Jewish uh, for the first 15 to 20 years, and then it's really expanded into the Gentile world when the Jews were scattered and, and Paul started going out, but they took this uh, the uh, Jewish cultural norms, and the tithing was, was just a core principle within their lifestyle. So, um, yeah, the, the Pharisees distinguish themselves by, not by tithing, but by taking it to the extreme and boasting about it. It was just a normal practice. And then Paul writes this in Corinthians, <clears throat> doesn't use the word tithe, but he does compare something that's very important here. It says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offering of the uh, uh, offering of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And so here Paul is actually taking the example of the Old Testament Levitical priesthood and how they obtained their livelihood from the offerings as the uh, pattern for New Testament ministers living by the gospel. Okay, and so here's like he's saying the way they made their money is the way New Testament ministers are to make their money. In fact, it's stated as a commandment. The Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Now, there were exceptions to this. Paul would take exception. He sometimes, uh, uh, not always, but at times would uh, re not receive an offering. He'd do it for free, but at other times he, he requested it and thanked them for supporting his ministry. <clears throat> and so here we see the correlation between the Old Testament Levitical tithe being given to the priesthood and the New Testament full-time ministers receiving the livelihood from the offerings of the people. <clears throat> okay, number four is the main one. We'll talk a little bit more about this. And I think this is what it's all about, is that tithing is the evidence of a covenant relationship. Okay. That's the purpose. Second, pur Secondary to that is that tithing demonstrates that money is not our God. All right? <clears throat> I just read this somewhere last night. I forget what it was, but money is the God of our culture. You know, the God of America is money. 
I really believe that. Um, and it's really the God of humanity. Uh, money, um, uh, it, it drives, <clears throat> this is a side point, but it's kind of interesting. It has nothing to do with what we're talking really about. <laughs> uh, this article uh, said, um, if you promise someone like a, a, a cookie or a candy bar, this is a good parenting lesson. If you promise someone um, a, a reward, their brain does not trigger the actual reward experience. Okay, so if you if you, if you put somebody in a brain scanner, this is actual the scientific test. Put somebody in a brain scanner and you give them a piece of chocolate, ee, happy hormones go off in their brain, right? You know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but if you tell them, if you tell them I'm going to give you a piece of chocolate in an hour. Nothing happens. But if you tell them, I'm going to give you $50 in an hour, the brain gets excited. So the promise of a reward doesn't actually produce positive feelings except in the place of money. It's the only thing. Isn't that weird? I don't That's kind of interesting. And, so, and it's because money has significant power in our lives. It has power in our minds. It affects our emotions. The promise of money affects your emotions. Wow. Uh, And so that kind of taps into something that's inward. And and this is why it's important. The first mention is always important in Scripture. When Scripture first mentions any topic, uh, there's extra importance to it because it's kind of like sets the idea in place and then is developed from that. So the first mention of tithing in the Bible was with the uh, Abraham. I'm going to quickly read through this. Uh, Genesis chapter 14. <clears throat> this is right after um, there was actually a war. Uh, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. After his return from the defeat of some guy <laughs> with a long name, and the kings who were with them. So Abraham and several other kings went out and fought this other army, and they won. And so they all gathered together, and this other king, this guy called Melchizedek, king of Salem, which later became Jerusalem, uh, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, Interesting. And he blessed him, blessed him being Abraham, blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. So this is the first time in the Bible tithe is mentioned. Abraham demonstrated his gratitude and his relationship with Melchizedek by taking 10% of everything that he had and giving it to him. And now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people, or you can have the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord, I've made a promise, uh, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to to a sandal strap, and I will not take anything that is yours, least you should save. I have made Abraham rich. Okay, so this happened 430 years before the law of Moses. So the idea that tithing was part of the law, and the law has been 
removed. We were no longer under the law. doesn't really apply the tithing. Yes, tithing was part of the law, but it was based on something that predated the law by over 400 years. And it was practiced as a way that demonstrated relationship or covenant. Uh, and it's interesting to see what differentiated these three kings in the story. <clears throat> Melchizedek gave Abraham a blessing. Um, he brought out bread and wine, and, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Abraham then returned uh, the expression by giving Melchizedek a tithe, and he received a blessing. But the king of Sodom did something different, didn't he? He said, give me. He didn't give anybody anything. He wanted it back. He wanted his stuff back, especially his people back. And uh, we all know what happened to Sodom later, right? And so I think Sodom represents worldliness and that appetite of the world and the appetite we're born with that we just want. We want to hang on to what's ours. We want what we can get. But Abraham demonstrated giving and Melchizedek demonstrated giving. <clears throat> all right. And so uh, we see this same story that we just read explained to a much greater detail in the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 5, it says, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. It was he, God, who said to him, Jesus, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he, God, says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so we find out that this Melchizedek was the forerunner, if you will, of Jesus. Jesus didn't come as a Levitical priest or a priest through the descendant of Aaron. He came as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. But uh, like, okay, well, that's interesting. <clears throat> I could talk about that for a few hours, but I won't. <laughs> uh, boom, there we go. Clicker's being sensitive. So he goes on. So first we get, okay, Jesus is connected to Melchizedek. Okay, whatever that means, great. And, uh, and, and that's tapping into this story back in the Old Testament that we just reviewed. But then a little bit, a little bit later in the Hebrews, he goes into much greater depth. Okay? For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham after uh, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth, a tithe uh, of all, first being translated king of righteousness. In other words, it, uh, the name can be translated king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So here the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, this Melchizedek character, we don't know nothing about him. We don't know his father. We don't know his mother. As far as we know, he didn't have a father, and he didn't have a mother. He didn't have a genealogy, which was really a big deal for the Hebrews, but made like the son of God. Remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. And indeed, those who are sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. Now this gets a little technical here, but it's talking about the tithing and the law, 
and how it's supposed to be translated or fulfilled as Christians in the New Testament. So it says the priesthood were commanded to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from the brethren, even though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Okay, so Melchizedek was better than Abraham because Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Melchizedek was better in the sense of a higher rank than Abraham because Abraham demonstrated that by tithing to him. All right, and so it, it tithing was the way that they uh, they they declared their relationship. We see the relationship between the two by their example. And then he goes on and says, here mortal men receives tithes, referring to the Levites, but there in this story, he, immortal, received them of whom it was witnessed that he lives. Now let me bring this to uh, an application. It says, even Levi who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What he's saying there is that all the Levitical priesthood was kind of like inside Abraham because they hadn't been born yet. Abraham was their great-great-grandfather. And so Levi was, and all of those Levites, all of the priests, all of the law was actually giving that their portion to this character Melchizedek. But remember, Melchizedek represents the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus comes to fulfill the order of Melchizedek. So all of those Old Testament practices were actually pointing to Jesus. All right? In this passage, in fact, some people argue that Melchizedek was actually Jesus. It's called a theophany, where Jesus shows up. There's some debate on that. Uh, <clears throat> but there's certain times in the Old Testament where Bible scholars basically said that's Jesus showing up before his incarnation uh, in the form of a person or a burning bush or what have you. <clears throat> so whether it, but it's certainly the book of Hebrews implies that, or at least says that this Melchizedek represented Jesus. All right, so in this passage, God uses the paying of tithes as a means to teach that Jesus has now replaced the entire Old Testament Levitical priesthood. That's a pretty big deal. You think so? You know, aren't you glad we don't have to sacrifice animals at the temple and watch them burn? All right. <clears throat> this does not teach that tithing is not a New Testament practice. It actually teaches us that all of the Old Testament tithes were actually being paid to Jesus through Abraham when he tithed the Melchizedek. Okay, so it's kind of like working backwards. That practice that happened for thousands of years in the Jewish people was actually, be, biblically speaking, theologically, they were being given to Melchizedek, which represents Jesus. And that means that this Old Testament practice was a signpost. You know, if you see a big sign that says Chicago that way, you know, it's pointing to something bigger than the sign. All right, it's pointing to a whole city. Right? And so the practice of tithing was a signpost that was pointing to something, uh, something that was foreshadowed in Abraham's interaction with Melchizedek. And that something that's bigger is Jesus. All right? It's huge. And so as Abraham tithed the Melchizedek and received bread and wine and blessing, 
Wow, does that sound familiar? You know, we tithe to Jesus and receive the bread of his body, the wine of his blood, and the blessing of new life in Christ. Wow. And so that example, why was that example so emphasized? The example of tithing throughout all of the, old, the, the law. Because it said something really important. It talked about covenantal relationship as exemplified in the, in the interaction between Abraham and Melchizedek. You know, it foreshadowed the coming of Jesus Christ and how we relate to him. And so I see it and, and, uh, as something very significant, that tithing is an expression of covenant relationship we are in. You know, and I've heard tithing taught from so many different perspectives. I heard this one guy said that anything that you buy with money that should have been tithed is possessed by demons. <laughs> and just as a fear-based saying, go through your house and get rid of all that because there's a demon inside and it's going to bring down your house. Listen, that is just nonsense. You heard anything like that? Forgive the guy who said it and don't believe it, all right? Uh, if that's not the point, God doesn't want to scare you, God doesn't want to manipulate you, and frankly, God doesn't need your money. Uh, God wants to bless you with covenant relationship, all right? Uh, and that's what it's all about. But boy, money is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a soft spot, right? When we start talking about money, when churches start talking about money, and you need to give the money to church that people get, like, and wait a minute, what do they want? We want you to be blessed, all right? <laughs> tithing now declares Christ is greater than Levi. When we tithe now, we are making a declaration that Jesus is bigger than the whole Levitical priesthood. Bigger. Bigger than the law of Moses, and even more significant than Abraham. And these truths were really, really evident in the early believers when they gave their tithes, not to the priests at the temple, all right, but to the church. So imagine that for the first 15 to 20 years of, of church history, instead of giving the money to the priest, they gave them to Peter. All right? That was, that's why the priests were so mad. <laughs> to tell you the truth, then, they at one point it says they were jealous. They were jealous. They were envious. And so they beat John and, and Peter and because all these people were flocking to them and selling their houses and giving them the money. It's crazy. Um, so how do we tithe to Jesus? Well, guess what? The church is the body of Christ. All right, we talked a whole month about that. <clears throat> when you give your tithes to the church, you are giving to Christ. Uh, where do we re receive that blessing that is depicted in the story of Melchizedek? Where do we receive the bread and the wine? Well, that's communion. And I believe, and some people, again, have different opinions. Some people think, well, you should give 10% and distribute it amongst whoever you think you should give it to. All right? <clears throat> and if you believe that, I mean, praise God, you're giving 10%. Average Christian gives like 1.2%. <laughs> I can't remember the exact number, but it's, it's less, far less than 2%. Uh, um, and so if you want to divvy 10% up and give some of it to missions and some of it to the local church, um, you know, you can do that. I believe that the, because of what it said in Corinthians uh, and because of the, uh, the, the, the teachings of the church throughout 2,000 years, that the tithe belongs to the local congregation, 
and, and all the other givings uh, that I'm going to talk about in two weeks are above and beyond that. <clears throat> One person says that the tithe, and this gets from um, uh, Malachi, the tithe protects your uh, what you have. In other words, it, it destroys the devourer. Talks about that Malachi. I'm uh, going to go to that scripture, but um, tithing protects uh, uh, you from the devourer. But giving above that causes increase. <clears throat> you know, and so that's great. But uh, uh, this is what I believe that where you celebrate communion or koinonia, which is actually sharing, bringing in your part of of the whole, is where your tithe should be given. Uh, because that is, uh, it fulfills that purpose and it also expresses the covenant relationship, not only that we have with Christ, but that we have together. And then the storehouse uh, enables uh, the storehouse to be full. So the, that was number four. What was number one? It was a long time ago. First reason I believe tithing isn't done. The New Testament doesn't say it's fulfilled or ended. Second reason, the only thing Jesus commended the Pharisees for doing. Third reason, church history! She gets the award, yes. The testimony of 2,000 years. That's the overwhelming evidence that the church has taught it. Fourth reason, huh? Primary purpose, which is? Boom! Covenant relationship. Covenant relationship. That's right, my battery is low. That means I better hurry up. Okay. <laughs> Tithing opens up. It's, uh, you know, it's both. <laughs> it's so low advanced. Come on. You got to be kidding me. Here we go. There we go. I do, I do read the scripture, Matthew 3.10, bringing all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple, in the house. Uh, if you do, says the Lord uh, of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out blessings so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Put me to the test. Storehouse, again, I think is a house of God, the church, it's a place of distribution, and it's the only thing in God's word that he says, come on. Come on, test me, test me, try me out. You know why? Because he's a good dad, right? He's a good dad. He wants to bless you. You know, my kids aren't here. I am actually surprised that my kids don't ask me for more stuff. Because I give them just about everything I, I can. You know? I think that's why they don't. Because they know that I'll, I'll find a way, come hell or high water, right? To get them what they want, you know. So I have one kid that actually, uh, they it makes them feel uncomfortable, <laughs> which actually makes me want to do it more, because <laughs> that child has a trouble, hasn't learned how to receive quite well. So I just I kind of go a little overboard with that one. <laughs> but a good dad wants to bless, but he can only bless you if you're in the right relationship. And if you, you're demonstrating that you can, you can take what you're given and honor him first with it. And when you honor him first with what he gives, 
then it just positions you to receive much, much, much more. And so it's not how much. Remember Jesus was sitting in the temple, and what was Jesus watching when he was with his disciples in the temple? Remember the story? He was sitting and he was watching what the people were doing. Was he watching how they were singing? How they were dancing? How they were reciting scripture? What was he watching? He was watching what they were putting in the offering. Boy, that Jesus. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Who gave the most? Who gave the most? The one who gave all that she had, a couple of pennies. Because it wasn't how much she gave, but it was her heart. And she, was, she didn't have much, but that she gave, and he said, wow, that's the one that's going to get the reward. And so that's the challenge that we have. <clears throat> you know, so let's just, uh, let's just pray. And listen, if, if you uh, are here and you don't have a covenant relationship with Jesus, if you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord, well, there's no reason you should give money to God. Uh, you know, and that comes first. That God's more interested in your soul. He, he doesn't need your money. He wants relationship. And then once you have that relationship, uh, then that giving is part demonstrates a relationship. Uh, I, I give as much as I can to my kids. I give some to strangers, but not much. But to my kids, man, I'll do whatever I can to make their, meet their needs, right? Because I have relationship with them. The same idea. Come into relationship. If you've never accepted Jesus as Lord, or if you did and you haven't been living it uh, through your lifestyle or in your heart and your mind or in this way in tithing i just challenge you to make that covenant relationship and then demonstrate that covenant relationship by proportionate giving uh starting out where you can setting a goal of at least 10 percent uh and and prayerfully expecting god he said test me in this i'll prove i'll prove you by blessing by by making heavens open up father i pray right now for every person here lord that you would you would encourage them that this 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 teaching would not discourage them or make them feel uncomfortable, but would encourage them and make them feel hopeful and make them understand that you are a loving daddy that wants to pour out the treasures of heaven into their lives. And you can do it and you will do it if we just show ourselves faithful. And Lord, that you receive and accept each and every one, regardless of how much we give or don't give, but that you have drawn us into relationship for blessing. So, Father, bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen.